Well, howdy. I said howdy. <clears throat> Thank you. I, actually, Melissa started warming you up pretty good. I was thinking about how much I enjoy visiting predominantly black churches because they tend to talk back, especially when they agree, and so that's kind of cool. Thank you. See, I was going to have you practice some stuff, but, you know, there's the, uh, can I have an amen? There we go. Or if you're an old fogey baby boomer, you can say right on. No right ons? Okay. Maybe not that old. Okay. But the, the only one that can say, you go, baby, is David. Try it. And then there's something only Rick can say. Okay, so if you don't agree with something I say, here's what you do. You take notes in your handy-dandy little note page, and, and then you go home. And, and you look at those notes and, and all the scriptures I gave you. And then you study the scriptures to say if they back up what I said that you don't like. And, and then if you still don't like it, then you talk to God about it. And, and then if apparently you're the appointed one to come and tell me how bad it was, then come talk to me. I'll be happy to talk to you. <laughs> no, seriously, that's helped me a lot um, through the years, listening to a lot of different teachers and not always quite either getting the message or getting why are we talking about this for an hour, you know. And my character has developed because of that. So will we have a PowerPoint? Maybe, maybe not. I'm getting a thumbs up. This is good. When it comes up, you can all say amen, right on. That, that, that's for the crew in the back, yeah. No, not, not yet, son. I'll cue you all. Okay, so overflowing vessels. That's the topic. And it's kind of a weird word because when we think of vessels, we think like ships. You know? But, but it's, it's an old Bible word for containers. Think of the vessel store. Yeah. <laughs> Jars, buckets, cups. Anything that holds something and takes it from here to there would be a vessel. And there's, there's a lot of scriptures about vessels, like containers, but the Bible also talks about us being containers. And not only that, but we're containers that tend to overflow. And here's my theory for that. When I think of cups or buckets or whatever, the kind of container I relate to is a hose. And some of you might have heard this before. Because I think we were designed to carry something from God to other people. I don't think we're supposed to hold it forever. And I could go into a whole long lesson about that and, you know, how you need to be plugged in, you need to have the water running and not be knotted up with issues. But I don't have time for that. You can clap. You can. Okay. So, so here's, here's what I think is the, the best verse about us being vessels. Luke 6, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, this mouth, his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? And I know you're thinking I added that last verse by mistake, but I didn't. 
because it's not just about what we say with our mouth. It's what we say with our life. There's a reason that verse is right after the, you know, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. It's also what you do. So the Amplified, when it says abundance, it says that's the overflow of the heart. And I think all of our hearts overflow because we're not meant to contain stuff. So whatever's piled up in there, it spews out. I mean, good or bad, it just will come out eventually. Um, and that's, I think, by design. Let's look at it out of the message, uh, and I'm adding verse 47 to that. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. Why are you so polite with me, always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir. Amen, and right on. But never doing a thing I tell you. These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. You know, the reason we participate, thank you, we have one, one. The reason we participate in church activities, whether it's a Sunday or it's a community group or it's a Bible study or watching a religious programming on TV or radio, is to be transformed. It's not just so we can stick a lot of stuff in our head that we can spew out somewhere. The idea is for us to be transformed and changed into better vessels that are constantly overflowing with God's stuff. 1 John 4 says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. That's the plan. He wants to live in us. And, and then he wants to pop out once in a while. I'll think about that. Okay. I'm going to run through some scriptures about vessels. I won't read all of them, but you have them in your notes, so you can go home and read them and, and meditate and write on. Yeah. Oh, boy, they can't wait. Okay. 2 Corinthians 4, that's actually my favorite is preach it. If I say preach it, it means that's something so true, everybody needs to hear it. I actually said it this week. I was in a meeting with a bunch of pastors of different denominations, and I had to, like, hold myself back because I wasn't sure where if some of them would appreciate my exuberance. Um, we had some clerical callers. We had a Messianic Jewish pastor and then a bunch of, of others. And this one lady was talking about how, the reason their church is growing is because when people come in, they put them to work. She says, this isn't a place where you come and watch me talk and clap and, you know, and then I do all the work. This is a community. It's a family. Everybody plays. And telling the pastors, we need to get over churches where people come clap for us. And I'm like, preach it. You know, I just couldn't say very loud. Anyway. So. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. And he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And the, earth, the treasure he's talking about is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. There's this glorious God. We get to know him. And that provides light for ourselves and for others. Okay? So if you'd rather think of yourself as a flashlight, go ahead. You can, you know, dump the hose, be a flashlight. This is good. Okay. Second Timothy 2. He talks about people being a vessel for honor, something sanctified and useful for the master. But I like the way the message puts it. And he's talking at that point about how in a house there's different containers, like there's trash cans, but there's also like jewelry boxes, all sorts of containers. And he says we need to become the kind of container God can use to present any and every kind of gift to his guests for their blessing. So see the transformation? Romans 9 talks about 
us being vessels of mercy, containers that carry God's mercy to other people. And I want to take a little time on 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And he's obviously speaking specifically about sexual morality, but you can apply that to other passions as well. Um, But I I think it's important that he focused on that. I was reading another verse, and at first it didn't seem to apply to us because it was talking about people basically doing old pagan religion stuff. But out of Isaiah 65, verses 3 through 5, A people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs. Okay, and they weren't just sleeping in the tombs. They weren't just roasting s'mores in the tombs, okay? Um, Who eat swine's flesh and the broth of abominable things is in their vessels. And here he's talking about, you know, the cups and the pots and what they're cooking and eating and doing. So I'm thinking, okay, this doesn't apply. But then he says, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. And yes, there are people who say to God, keep to yourself. I'm better than you. I know better. Okay. But where I hear this more is among Christians, honestly. Um. And it sounds something like, well, at least I'm married to the person I'm sleeping with. And they're of the opposite gender. So you, gay person, co-worker, can't come to my house for dinner. And yet that holy person is spending the evenings in front of the Internet, in the cemetery section of the Internet, where all the dead and corroding things are. Or for the cable television, in that part of cable television where all the dead and corroding things are. And I've been there and I've been that person, so I'm not trying to judge anyone. But that's where I hear, I'm holier than you, don't come near me. And it should break our hearts, honestly. So let's pray. Lord, you know our hearts and you know that we want to be the kind of containers that you can dwell in and that you can use to reach other people. So, Lord, help us see the things that get in the way of that and also see the good things that you're wanting to put in our hearts and in our lives. And, Lord, um, bind up any spirit of shame or of self-condemnation that would try to mess with this message. Lord, help us see the the hope that is in you of becoming those vessels for your mercy and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I I knew somebody once who who had been hurt a lot, and because of that, I kind of walked on eggshells around them. Have you ever had a person like that? And I was trying to explain to them, not because I was getting on their case, but because I wanted them to get help so that I could be close to them. And I was, I was telling them, you know, being around you is kind of like being around a bucket of acid sitting on the floor. And I'm afraid that if I get too close and kind of knock into it a little, 
I'm going to get splashed and hurt. Why? Because it had happened a lot of times. And I've been that bucket too. Okay. But with this person, I was saying, I'm even afraid to walk too hard because the vibration might splash some acid around, you know. And as long as you don't shake it up, that acid's a really pretty shiny color, you know. But then it burns people. And that's the overflow of a lot of pain. So the question is, what's your overflow when somebody bumps into you? Um, there's evidence that you can look at of what kind of stuff is in you. And a lot of times this is stuff somebody else put in there. Okay, it's not always your own, you bad person put all this bad stuff in there. That's not always the case. In fact, usually it started with somebody else. Um, but the evidence of bad things in your container, out of Galatians 5, and I'm reading from the message because I, I like the way he expresses it. And this is a long list. I don't, I've never met someone who had all of these things, but I think all of us have at least one. <laughs> okay. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods and magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper and impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. You ever had that happen where you say something and this person attacks you and it's like, whoa, I'm not your competition. I was just like saying something, you know. Um, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. Years ago, there was this TV show named Cheers about life at a bar. And the song was very positive about how this is a place where everybody knows your name. Most bars I've been in are an ugly parody of true community. But people need community. And if the church isn't giving it to them and their family's not giving it to them, then they go pay a stripper to listen to them talk. That's what some people do. I could go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. And that makes sense. If I have a treasure chest full of garbage, and God's trying to put something valuable in there, like, say, God's kingdom, it doesn't fit, okay? So. Now, here's the good news. He goes on to give us evidence of good things. You can have evidence that there's good stuff in you. So Galatians, starting 522, but what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. And that's one of the neat things about getting cleaned up, not that I'm like, all the way there, but you start realizing that even in the darkest person, the darkest situation, God's at work. And that's really cool. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. And this isn't supposed to be a list of things to do and not to do, because legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities, is killed off for good, crucified. 
okay, so we want the flow of good stuff. We don't want to have bad stuff in the way, but like, how do you get there? Okay, well, here's where we get to Bible application instead of Bible knowledge. I can sit here and give you a real good history lesson based on the Bible. I could give you probably a good poetry or literature lesson. I could even give you a good philosophy lesson. That's not necessarily going to transform your life. So what we try to do here is give some practical tips for how to apply this and and give some inspiration on wanting to be changed. Um, 2 Timothy 2.15 out of the Amplified Bible says we should study the Bible to show ourselves approved by God. And and under approved, it says that means tested by trial. And what I picture in my mind is when somebody's trying to buy vegetables or fruit, they squeeze them, right? Well, life squeezes us. And if we're too mushy and we whine, (laughs) then it puts us back down. And if we're too hard, then we're not ready to eat. And so when, when life presses on us, I think God's checking to see, are we ready to be a vessel for others, that he can feed others through us? Okay. So, God approved, tested by trial, a workman. I looked it up. You know what a workman means? Someone who does something. It was deep. One who does. Yeah who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. And in James 1, we also see that we're supposed to be doers, not just hearers. And this is from the message, and I've I've skipped around a little, verses 21 and 22 and 27. In simple humility, let our gardener, God, landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden of your life. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you are anything but, letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. Reach out. That's part of our design. If you're a hose, you're supposed to be reaching from the source of water to the thirsty plants, right? If we're not doing that, we won't be happy. I don't care what else is going on. So you need to know how to use the Bible and how to apply it. But see, this pesky little thing gets in the way called emotions. And we need to know how to deal with, like, our own emotions and other people's emotions and how to possess our own vessel like that one verse said and be able to love all those other little containers. Yeah. And when I was a child, I wasn't allowed to express emotion. I really felt like I wasn't allowed to have emotions. So this was a really hard thing for me when I became a Christian. Even just being in touch with how I felt, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago Randy had those little pictures that, you know, one represents angry and sad and joyful and Disappointed, remember those? And he asked, which one represents you today? And I sat and looked and looked. And unless I'm feeling something really strong, still it's hard for me to get in touch with how I feel because of how I was programmed, let alone know what to do with it or how to express it. 
And in 1987, a movie came out called Broadcast News. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but you're watching a movie or something, and you say, somebody has been following me around. That character is me. And that's what it was, it was like for me. And one of the cool things about the movie, it's about three people in the broadcast business. And it shows them as the credits roll, it shows, shows them as little kids, like for just five minutes. But then you feel like you know one when you see them as adults. And I identified with this woman as a child and also as an adult. And what you'll see is, if it works, that she's very composed, very professional, even in a huge crisis. But then afterwards, she's got to let it out. And it's really kind of bizarre. It's truly amazing to me that we live a world apart and yet have the same favorite music. I love the pictures that you have it up on and have it and have it up on my bulletin board. And throwing Honey! you to go to sleep. I just have two more pink pals, then I'm all done. Finish quickly. I don't want you getting obsessive about these things. Good night. Dad, you want me to choose my words so carefully. Then you throw a word like obsessive at me. Now, unless I'm wrong, please correct me if I am. But obsession is practically a psychiatric term concerning people who don't have anything else but the object of their own obsession, who can't stop and do anything else. Well, here I am stopping to tell you this, okay? So would you please try and be a little bit more precise instead of calling a person something like obsessive? Good night. in the lobby. Okay, I'll see you in the lobbies.
first shots were fired about 10 seconds over towards the east. The Contras feel they must be outnumbered. This is so small a unit. That's a given. Still, they manage to hold their ground despite the fact that their weapons have been acting up, either misfiring or jamming. No new shipment of arms is expected until tomorrow. All they got today were the shoes. Greg, honestly, man, it could have been Greg. It could have been it was Greg. Did you get a shot of the boots? Yeah, of course. So then we can cut back to that at the end, right? To the pan at the supply boxes. I can't believe I just risked my life for a network to test my face with focus groups. I don't feel good. <laughs> I kid you not. They were following me around, except that that actually happened before my 30th birthday. And until that year, I hadn't even figured out how to cry. Um, and to give you a little background, I learned probably by the time I was about four that if my mom knew what bothered me, she'd do it again. And so I learned not to show sadness, not to show anger, poker face. That's very useful if you're a judge or a poker player, or a negotiator, but in general, you know, relationships, not so good. And um, what happened the year I was turning 30, I had some medical tests run, and I won't give you the whole long story, but um, this was with an alternative practitioner who had a PhD, so it wasn't some quack. I mean, he had some sense of what he was doing, but ran some tests, and one of the things he said was, um, Mariana, what we're finding in you is um, a condition with your heart, kind of like heart congestion. And he said, if, if we were to open up your chest in a, on a surgery table and I was to press on your heart, it'd be just like pressing on a, a sponge that's completely soaked. You ever had one in the sink and when you push on it, water comes out? He said, that was the condition of my heart, which was apparently not good. And he said, we, we tend to see that among people who have a lot of repressed grief. Which sounded real poetic to me. It was like, oh, all those tears I didn't shed just got accumulated in my heart. But anyway, um, that's just where my brain goes with things. What can I tell you? Um, so he said this was affecting my heart. And besides giving me some nutritional supplements, he also gave me an assignment. And do you have the? Okay. There's my heart. And, you know, it's, it's even scriptural. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. There's my sick little heart. Um, he gave me an assignment. He said, I see you rushing around, always rushing, rushing, working, going to school, raising a family, volunteering at church, yada, yada. Yada, yada wasn't a term back then, but work with me. Um, and he said, and you do it so you won't feel what you're feeling. But whenever you f have a strong feeling, there's energy involved. And you can think of it. If you get angry, there's energy that rises up. If, if you're very sad, energy comes up. He says when you stuff that, it goes and hits some part of the body. And there's, you have a bunch of organs that have been damaged. Um, 
from all that repressed. Because I was like, you know, a pot of boiling water, and I kept trying to keep the lid on it. And then once in a while, my lid would blow. <laughs> and then I, yeah, not good. Um, and so he said, I want you every day to sit for an hour. You have no idea how hard it is for me to sit for an hour and just, like, sit. I want you to sit for an hour and feel whatever you're feeling. If you're angry about something and you need to yell or you need to throw something, do it. If you're hurt or sad and you need to cry, do not get up until you cry. Yeah, um, that, that took quite a few months. I, I would have to picture lots of sad things happening to innocent little puppies and stuff like that. I kid you not. To get to where I would cry, which sounds totally silly, but I had to overcome all, all those years of conditioning of just swallowing everything, you know. Um, and again, whatever you're carrying around in you, the lid's going to blow. For me, it was a lot of pain. And really, it was a lot like what everybody car- carries around. Here's what most of us carry around in our vessels. We carry pain. I want to click on that. And next, anger. And the interesting thing about anger... I have a picture of Rick at three months. You would not believe. But the thing about anger, no, that is not it, no. Um, He's he's dressed very fashionably, but he's still very angry. The thing about anger, it's usually pain. In, In our culture, it's not always socially acceptable to express that I'm sad about something or you hurt my feelings. But I can get mad at you, okay? So usually there's some pain in there, and if you let it sit there for a long time, then next, it grows this root of bitterness. Root of bitterness. There we go. And then we also have next, guilt. And then fear. And condemnation. And usually condemnation isn't something you put in there. You just learn to nourish it. And you put all those things together, and that turns into stress. Lots and lots of stress. And I forget what the percentages of illnesses that are caused by stress, but it's pretty high up there. So essentially stress kills. And I want to talk a little bit more about each of these emotions, because you might, you know, some of those words may not click with you. You may say, I don't have fear, but you might have anxiety, okay? So we'll see some other words. Pain, um, all of us have it, and when someone's hurt you, you feel violated, and you feel sad, and you also feel vulnerable because you know it could happen again, and so you want to protect yourself, and usually what we do is turn it into anger, And I I love this verse um, from Job. You, um, when we get there. Because when we're angry at someone, and I've seen people be angry for 30, 40, 50 years over something that happened way back, and we want to feel like we're punishing the person we're angry at. But they're clueless. We're punishing ourselves. We're tearing ourselves apart with it. But the thing is, it's so hard to focus on the stuff that hurt us because that's looking inside that we'll look outside and I'll blame you and I'll be angry at you instead of dealing with with my pain. Um, 
And so where there's anger, you're usually going to find hurt or pain beneath it. So if you know some really angry people, that's probably what's further down in, in that cup of theirs. And again, when it's not healed, it turns into bitterness. And Ephesians 4.26 says, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. That's out of the New Living Translation. And it's like, foothold? Foothold for what? Well, Hebrews 12.15 talks about not allowing a root of bitterness to come in um, because that causes trouble in our life. That's the foothold. Now, it's normal to feel angry, but when you make a home for that anger, that's where the devil gets the entrance and can turn it into bitterness. So another thing in our emotional cup is guilt and also false guilt. And, you know, a lot of times when we're hurt or we're angry or we're afraid, we lash out at people and then we feel guilty about it. Or maybe we've done stuff that we feel guilty about you know, bad choices that affected other people. And sometimes then we start questioning our self-worth, and that's when it gets into false guilt. And I'll give you an example of this. Um, In a lot of families, when parents split up, the kids blame themselves. Like, if I had been a better girl, if I had gotten better grades or whatever, mommy and daddy would still be together, which had nothing to do, probably, with why mommy and daddy split up. But that's just a natural place to go. And we continue to do that throughout our lives because we tend to think it's, it's all about me. And so it's bad enough we have guilt, but then on top of that, we start imagining stuff. So the other thing is fear, which is not something God wants in our buckets. And like I mentioned, when, when you're hurt or when you have some unmet needs, then you realize you're vulnerable to this happening again. So where hurt and anger can be about the past, fear is projecting that hurt into the future. And this might happen again, and I have to protect myself. And you see the different words for what that can look like. Um, And it it can show up as withdrawal, perfectionism, control, and addictions. And let let me give you an example of that from my own life. If I were to visit your house, and most of you probably have some pictures on the wall somewhere, if one of those pictures is slightly crooked, it really, really, really bugs me. And if we're really good friends, I'll just fix it. But normally, if it's the first time I'm at your place, I think it's kind of rude to go and point out what's wrong with your house. And so I'll sit there and, and kind of see. Um, yes, obsessive is a word that comes to mind. I wouldn't claim it. but And that might sound really silly, except that when I was very young and all those connections were being made with the nerves in my brain, there was overwhelming evidence that if things weren't perfect, I was in danger. If something in the room was out of place, if my clothing wasn't perfect, if my hair wasn't perfect, if my words weren't perfect, if my tone of voice wasn't perfect, if the look in my eye wasn't perfect, if I did something or didn't do something, if I wasn't perfect and the world around me perfect, then it was open season. You know, like there's hunting season where it's okay to go kill animals. Well, that's what this meant. It meant open season I can be hurt either emotionally or physically or both, and sometimes very seriously. So it was like a life or death thing for me. So when you know that, then the fact that the crooked picture in in your house makes me feel like my life is in danger makes more sense. Now, I know it's not, 
I know the world's not going to end because there's some crooked pictures, but there's this programming, and I've been healing through the years, but there's, you know, anyway, just to help you understand all us misjudged and misunderstood perfectionists. You're welcome. Yeah, no, nobody wants to admit that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you become overwhelmed with expectations that something's going to hurt you or something bad's going to happen, a lot of time what comes out sounds like anger. So, like, somebody cuts you off in traffic. Now, how often do you say, ah, I'm so afraid he could have hit me? Most of us tend to yell. Or if a kid runs out in the street, you tend to yell, partly to get their attention, partly also because you're startled, you know. And so fear has gripped you, and culturally it's okay to express it as anger. Okay? Um, unless you're doing something stupid, and then it's okay to express fear because culturally it's okay to jump out of high places and watch scary movies and be scared by all that. That's okay. It's okay to be scared then, which is nuts. Okay, I won't go there. That's a whole nother lesson. Okay, condemnation, which there shouldn't be any for those who are in Christ Jesus. But when it's been piled in there throughout your life by somebody else, you might need help from somebody else to get it out. And, and that was important for me to learn. It took me way too long to learn it because I felt like I should be able to clean up my own mess. But it wasn't my mess. I had a lot of help building that mess. I didn't have all the tools for cleaning it up. And it was okay that I needed help, whether that's the help of friends or the help of a professional. It's okay because you didn't make the mess by yourself. So when we walk through life with hurt, anger, guilt, fear, condemnation, and all that, you generally experience anxiety, worry, stress. Here's what the message says about stress, Mark 4:18. The seed cast into the weeds represents the ones who hear the kingdom news but are overwhelmed with worries about all the things they have to do and all the things they want to get. The stress strangles what they heard, and nothing comes of it. And that's one of the reasons it's important to deal with this stuff, because you might be exposed, whether it's here or in a community group or whatever, to really good stuff, but nothing comes of it because your cup is so full of all this stress. Here's some symptoms of a full emotional cup, if we can call it that. There's depression or anxiety. Sleep and eating disorders, drug and alcohol use and abuse, overwork, uncontrollable temper, loss of romance, love, hope, or joy, or loss of motivation, and all that can be symptoms of depression, which was on the list. Escapism or living in a fantasy world, persistent physical complaints, controlling others or situations, and outbursts. That was my big symptom. But these are only the symptoms. So if you try to address the symptom, it's like if I broke my arm right now and you give me some painkillers. Okay, I feel better. The bone's still broken. And when the painkillers wear off, I'll still be in pain. And I'll need to go get some more painkillers or alcohol or fantasy or work or whatever. So we need to deal with the root. Okay, these are just symptoms. And so the question is, okay, so how do we deal with those symptoms? And, and this is where I'm running out of time. And so I hate to tell you, okay, here's the problem. Come back next week for the solution. But next week, we really are going to talk about solutions. And 
the good news, if, if you don't have a life that's overflowing with peace and love and all those wonderful things, it's overflowing with like anger or bitterness, and watch yourself this week and see what overflows. The good news is that the answer isn't something I'm going to give you next week necessarily, although hopefully that will be helpful. The answer is that the one who made your vessel is not only capable of, cap- capable of cleaning and repairing it, but he very much wants to fill it up with good stuff. And he can. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly. See, this is what overflows from him. Above all that we ask or imagine, with power that works in us. And that power is here now. That's something you can get in touch with now. Um, We're going to play a video because I felt so bad about just leaving you hanging for the answers. And it talks about the answer. Um, if you need somebody to accompany you on, on this journey of cleaning up the mess that you didn't make by yourself, you can come to the front and someone will pray with you, or you could even raise your hand while you're at and somebody will come pray with you. And if you are a ministry leader, community group leader, or former leader, or someone who's been trained in prayer, then hang on a little bit to your need and see if somebody needs prayer. and and go pray with them. Um, So we're going to go ahead and play the video. When that ends, we're going to have a business meeting tonight, and that's going to start at precisely 5.30. That's for members and frequent attenders.